0: listening to the creating a brand podcast where we deliver weekly masterclass interviews on topics that help you make your first or next step in business the right one. I'm your host Alex San Filippo. Are you intentionally devoting time to learn how to make your conversations more meaningful? I found that both in the business world and in our personal lives, conversations are rarely getting past face value anymore. Although our intentions are good because we don't want to offend anybody or have anyone upset with us, we are missing a huge opportunity to build stronger personal and professional relationships. In today's episode, I am talking with Fred Dust. Fred is the author of the very timely book titled Making Conversation, Seven Essential Elements of Meaningful Communication. I consider this to be one of the most important books of 2020, and it will become even more important in the future. For links to resources that will be mentioned during this episode, please visit creatingabrand.com slash zero seven six. And now, here is my conversation with my friend, Fred Dust. Fred, I am so looking forward to having a meaningful conversation with you. Welcome to the Creating a Brand podcast. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it, Alex. Yeah, I just finished reading your book, Making Conversations, and just really enjoyed it. You refer to yourself in this book, or maybe it's other people who have referred to you as this, but a designer of conversation, which is something I've not heard before. I was not familiar with this before picking up your book. Can you explain what this means briefly and kind of your past with it?
1: Yeah, and to be honest, Alex, I'm not convinced. I don't know if I'd heard of it before either, but it was sort of, okay. it was sort of a realization as I was working on the book, which is that there are lots and lots of books that are kind of facilitation manuals, right? Which is like, how do you facilitate a conversation? And there are a lot of people who like are expert facilitators. And um, that's really different than thinking about yourself as somebody who can be really creative with a conversation. So let's even lose designer for a moment. Like just like the book really is about how you yourself, like Alex, or your, your listeners can actually use creativity to craft the hardest, most complex conversations that they have to have and make them better. Um, and what I realized as I was kind of working on it is that as it happened, that's what I've been doing for almost my entire life. Um, but, but the reality is, um, I, I don't know if I'd quite framed it that way. Um, but you know, being a facilitator sounds really daunting. Even being a designer sounds like pretty daunting, but being like mm-hmm. creative or thinking about the reason why the book's called making, just like making a conversation um, is, is, is actually something that anyone can do and should be able to do. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, it absolutely does. And I think that it's really an important topic. I know you've been working on this book for years, but it's so timely. I mean, when this episode we like this to be evergreen, but when this comes out it's still 2020 and uh we have a world that the idea of conversation is just rapidly transforming. I mean, it's just changing every day.
1: That's right. That's entirely right. I mean, we can talk about this another time. But I actually sort of feel like even our cognition is changing. We're watching it happen. Like it's hmm. like the way, the way. I mean, the human mind is quite expansive, you know, and the, and the way the way we actually think is actually shifting pretty radically. Yeah, you're right. It's it feels weirdly more critical now than even when I started it. <laughs> so when I thought it was critical then.
0: Yeah, we'll have to have you come back to talk more about that. I know that you have uh, teams working with you now. So you'll have a lot a lot of science behind what you're even mentioning now. So hopefully we'll get to talk to you again in the future. Yep. Uh, for today, before we kind of jump into some of the points from your book, I'd love to hear kind of the the state of conversation, which we've we've hinted at. And for lack of a better term, I'm calling it that. Just where is conversation heading, do you feel? Where does it come from? Like, what, what's kind of some of the struggles we're having in this new world that we're living in?
1: Well, like, I, I think the easy thing to say is that it's like, the state of conversation is terrible. Um, however, hmm. I'm going to say the opposite because um, I think you know, like, since you read the book, like I believe it's our work, like your work, my work, to be relentlessly telling stories of how people had the most creative, courageous conversations of, of their lives. Um, now that those, so I'm I'm going to be pretty positive, even though it might feel kind of counterintuitive. Um, but I, I will say, for me, who has built a team. I had a team that was being. I've been building since, since March one. The camaraderie and connection in our team, despite the fact that we've never been in the same place physically, um, mm. and they're all they're all over the globe basically, has never been better. And it's partially because, if you, if as you know from reading the book, um, on March one when my team walked down, because um, we I, we we were pretty sure this was going to happen way early, and. Um, I wrote a short chapter for the book called How to Have the Hardest Conversations of Your Life. It's something like that, like over Zoom during the pandemic. I can't remember exactly right. what it's called. And that's what we use to guide our team. And so what's interesting is that we've been more bonded, more connected, because I had things like wildcard days. I was like, if you can't show up, don't show up. Or if you want to show up and you want to cry during the whole whole meeting, awesome. I'll just sit here and listen to you cry or I'll cry with you. So I think this moment let's just think about this from a, from a team perspective, and then we can talk about the world, mm-hmm. really requires outside um, capacity to embrace people's humanity. Um, and so that, that's, that's a really important thing. I would also say that's true politically, religiously. I mean, like, like, like where, where, wherever you, you stand. And so I believe, I'll give you an example of something that happened to me during the this most significant New York lockdown. We were on our farm. Our next door neighbor is a farmer and a hunter and a a big big Trump supporter Um, and he was also an EMT. So he was deployed into New York City during the pandemic. And we heard that and started just texting him every day just to be like, are you okay? And he would text us these kind of crazy things in the middle of the night. Um, Mm -hmm. And when he came back, he came and sat on our front porch and he just sat and told us everything he'd seen and cried. And when he left, we were like, I wonder why he did that. And we realized it's because he couldn't go home to his wife and daughter and tell him what he'd seen. So he because he, they wouldn't feel safe. So I guess what I was the point there is that it's like extend humanity to, to everybody you can. You know, it's like doesn't matter. I don't care who you vote for. It's like it's like let's but like. Right. But I, I'm going to have a conversation with you. You know, it's like it's like it's important to to do that. So I know that might feel. You know that you've read the book. It's it's not political, mm-hmm. um, just right? No, not that, at all. That I do think political leaders have have contributed to the moment that we live in. Um,
0: right. A lot of what you're mentioning sounds like empathy. A little bit that we have to be empathetic toward each other when we're having conversations. Uh, would you say that that was like a big? a big plus in your team that's really helped it succeed is that kind of the framework that you used
1: so it's funny you said that i just did an empathy summit for mit yesterday so it's like um which was um but i actually i'm gonna take you a little further alex like i don't use the word empathy. i use the word love just straight up love um and the reason i do that is because i'm like if you don't if you start with love maybe you'll get to empathy (laughs) <laughs> it's like, you know, <laughs> if you don't shoot for the highest possible goal, then like you're, you aren't, you're just not going to get there. Um, and so I think it's really, it's important to go big on on this one. And that's, I get Alex, that's, that's a hard one to do, you know, necessarily, but it's like, but it just, it, it helps you to do it. Well, one last thing on that, Alex, is that making conversation is our job. Like that is mm-hmm. the one thing we should be doing as humans. Um, that's good. That's one thing. I mean, it's what you're doing, Alex, is like, it's like you're making conversations, right? And it's like, and in fact, it's actually your job. <laughs> so it's like, so it's, <laughs> right. But, but the reality is it would be your job, even if it wasn't your day job. So I really, um, I just say like, go go forth and do that. And we'll be all in a much better place.
0: I love that making conversations is our job as humans. I think that that's, there's a powerful principle there. And now a lot of this sounds very, very personal to to you and me. Like if if we're individuals that are friends, neighbors, any of those type of things, what do you say to the entrepreneur that how do they actually use this same concept of love needs to be involved in in business as well? Because a lot of people immediately disconnect that. As you know, like business it's kind of like I'm a different person at home than I am in the job, right? Many people have that mindset, which I believe is starting to shift a bit because of the new world we live in. But what are your thoughts on that?
1: Well, it's like, that's, that's a great example where it actually has, it's even, it even matters more, right? So I'll just, I'll hit like two different things on that. One is that when I used to work at IDEO and I would have teams, I'll I'll tell you a little business story. So um, I had a team that was working for a very, very, very big hotel chain. And the team did not like the rooms or the, or the hotels that they were working on. And what I began to notice is that their their weird bias against this hotel was coming back in the work, in the sense that they were doing these this kind of like not very good work. And what I realized is it's because they didn't they didn't love the user. So literally the guests mm. thing at the hotel, they were like they thought they they looked down on them because they felt like they were less good than or less design thought sensitive. And so the work we had to do was get them to fall in love with their user. Um because then they started to make amazing things for the for the hotels and the and the rooms. So that is one way where an entrepreneur especially if they're building a product or a service or something that that's going to be consumer facing you need to fall in love with your user. If if you do. and what's great about that is that for, in many cases Alex I don't know if you feel this way but your user might be some version of you. Am I, am I right? Like, it's like... Oh, yeah, definitely. <laughs> <it's> like, yeah. <laughs> and you're, by the way, your user is actually some version of me as well. And so it's like, so it's, it's empathy, right? To be like, well, I know what you're, what you're like. But really, it's like, you can even go a little further and be like, what, what, what happens if you love your users? Like, what will you hmm. for them? And um, so that's one thing. And then the other thing is, being an entrepreneur is super stressful. I mean, it's like, it's like, yeah, you know,
0: and (laughs) creating a brand appreciates hearing that from professionals like yourself, by the way. So that's always good to hear. We're not alone.
1: I mean, you're not, you're not alone. It is a stressful thing. And so actually the way that you're going to make it through, I don't know, Alex, if you've covered this much in, in your work, but often people who start things are not the people who run those businesses. So founders often, very often either get knocked out of the organization because like they start to... Overbelieve in themselves or give themselves kind of like godlike, you know, a sense a sense of right. <laughs> abilities. And and we all know those those founders. We've all worked with them or have been friends with them. Um, and I think that you should really work while you're being while you're founding something and and being entrepreneurial to not fall in love with yourself, <laughs> so that you, and and instead really fall in love with your team. That will pay off like tenfold. A hundredfold like 5 years in when suddenly like people are like no this person was always a good leader and mm-hmm. always saw and acknowledged the work so i'll, I'll give you an a- example alex i've been working with a japanese american woman uh since march 1 i'm the face of the work elena's really been doing the work i shouldn't probably say her name but she she be fine it's like <laughs> <laughs> so it was my job as kind of the the leader to continuously be like, let me show you, Elena. Like I want you to see her face, or Elena, I can't remember what we're doing here. Can you explain it? Because it was important for my clients and the people I was working with to see her, and that's that's the job of a good leader is to make is to kind of show the work of others and make them be seen. So, it's a, being a starting something is a really sensitive moment, and starting something now, probably even more so. So. I just feel like this is this is the moment to really be thinking about that.
0: We'll get right back to today's episode, but first I wanna share the number one organic marketing strategy for growing your brand. It's called podcast guesting. Whether you're an established business owner or an entrepreneur that's just getting started, being a guest on podcast is the smartest marketing move that you can make. To help you become a successful guest, I've put together a 12-step guide for podcast guesting, which will explain everything from the gear you need to quickly finding the ideal podcast to be a guest on. If you'll visit creatingabrand.com slash guest, you'll be able to get started immediately, no email or registration required. I trust that this 12-step guide will serve you well in your podcast guesting journey. And now let's get back to today's episode. I definitely want to transition this conversation to to a couple of the main points that you have in your book, the seven C's of creative conversation. And I want to jump into just two of those. I want to start with creative listening, which is the second point you have in the book. I'd love to hear what this means exactly, because I know this is really important for entrepreneurs, especially when they're getting started. Listening is key, right?
1: Yeah, that's totally right. Well, so um, that came from a bunch of different things. That came from a little bit from me recognizing that my teams were getting bad at listening. And so, again, if you had to kind of think about your user and how you were going to, like, kind of fall in love with them and how you're going to make the best thing for them, then what happens if you're not listening to them when you're talking to them? And what I noticed is a bunch of my teammates being like, that's what they were doing, and they weren't listening. Hmm. I thought back to somebody who was an amazing listener in my life, my mother, and I basically, who, as as you know, like, was born in a household where her brother was deaf, so they barely they didn't speak really like everything, everything that was happening in silence. And my mother just became amazing listener. She was the sort of person who people would walk up on the street and just be like, tell her their, their life story. And um, which is kind of like, as I, I feel like I, I've sort of inherited her resting nice face. Cause everybody will walk up and just me too.
0: And, than the and, opposite. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's, like, it's Yeah. I mean, we all have one resting face and, and they're all, they're all, they're called kinds of a curse, but it's like, but, um, but what's, what's funny about my mom. So, so then I started saying to my teams, well, listen, like your mother. And by the way, that doesn't exactly work because not all mothers listen. <laughs> like, so. Right. And so, um, so I had to get really good and kind of a little bit more science based around it and, and really kind of, and so, so that chapter is really kind of marrying up like the neuroscience and psychology of what we think, what we know works for listening cultural aspects of listening, as well as just how my great-grandmother used to tell stories or how to ask for like the perfect story. I actually believe that one of the things we can do to help t- to make us better listeners and more joyful listeners and and really get the learning out of listening that we need to do is help people be better at telling good stories. You know, it's like, mm-hmm. and, and, like and like doing it in the, in the, in the, in the right way and the right format. And so I spent a lot of time in the book in that chapter Really focusing on how you can ask somebody for the very for the perfect story, um, and so and and I believe that you can actually there is such thing as a perfect story. Um, but Alex, I also sort of I kind of hate the word storytelling because it's like I think it sort of it suggests that it's something that only some people can do, whereas we all have in us the capacity to tell a perfect story. Um, so I have a really short section, two pages, called Illuminations. Which is about how to tell the perfect thirty-second story. Um, would you be up to hearing what I think is like the perfect thirty-second story?
0: Oh, definitely. I think the audience would be disappointed if we didn't jump into that. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and, then I'll, and then I'll tell you how, how it's why it's perfect. So, my my great grandmother was a really great storyteller. My great grandmother um, was a steel, steel steel worker. Like she worked in the steel mills. She was she basically was a was the only woman. sort of stayed after world war ii and she basically like she was a um she she ran the front lines and she basically um, was a steel worker all night and then a farmer all day so she this is somebody who really didn't sleep you think that we don't we're not thinking so well she really so one day she was coming home from the steel mills and it was the sun was rising and she was walking up to her farm road and gradually she sort of saw something kind of floating down from the sky. And in her mind right now, she was just thinking, I don't think I can make it one more day. Like I'm so exhausted. I'm so, she, she used to say things like just a few more days to tote the weary load. She would, um, so this thing is popping down as coming down from the sky and stands in front of her and suddenly floating right in front of her is Jesus. And he winks at her and that gives her the, the strength to go on that day. So that story is a little longer than thirty seconds because I, I gave you a lot more background. But that story is a perfect encapsulation of what I call an illumination, which is just this very short story that kind of gives you some insight to my grandmother, but doesn't kind of over-explain it. So that story is like the exact opposite from coming home and venting to your wife for four hours. You know, mm-hmm. it's like it's like it's crystalline. And there's four there's four reasons it really works. So I'm gonna I'm gonna give you these four really simple steps it's super super short it's 20 seconds or 30 seconds right it it has a um the the story basically reveals something about my grandmother's values so you actually understand more about her you know that that she was a religious woman a woman of faith um the story ends right where it begins so it's like what's the rest of that story like i want to know what happened the next day like right. it, it, if your grandmother tells you that 22nd story, you're going to show up to hear her story the next day. Cause you, it's right. like, yeah, that's like, that's, it's like the best kind of suspense, right? Like that's like mm-hmm. that's a good binge watching, you know, story. And then the last thing about that story is that, um, it ends with a twist. There's a little surprise, which is why we love dark mirror or why we love like, you know, whatever we love, like the, I'm I'm a big horror fan, so I I love all those kinds of twists. But it's like, but basically, that's that's the best kind of storytelling. And so, what you can do is both practice that for yourself, so that you can actually, so like I can tell a short twenty second story about myself. But also, you can ask other people to do it. So one thing I'll do often when I see teams in tension is I'll ask them to say to tell a story, twenty second story about who you were when you were twelve. So Alex, let's just try that. Like, can you tell me like a 20 second story about who you were at 12?
0: Yeah, I was a, I was a different kid. I wasn't really good at school. I wasn't good at, uh, I wasn't a musician. I wasn't a video game player. This was an awkward place to be. Right. But um, we had a neighborhood, like we lived in a neighborhood with a golf course and across the street, there was actually, um, golfers always hitting balls in the water. So I went and got them out and sold them back to them and realized at the young age of 12, I actually loved entrepreneurship and loved the idea of running a business
1: that's so i love that so so that's that, that's a great thing alex so what you just did is you gave me a vivid picture of who you were at at 12 like it's like but you also gave me your origin story you told me right. like where you came from so that, that's like that's like marvel avengers you know kind of kind of
0: <laughs> well like, thank I, you
1: <laughs> I, I just heard your your kind of your your hero's journey in 20 seconds so i'll i'll give you i'll give you one version of me at 12 which is that i was like my father was the headmaster of my school. I was the perfect kid. I had to play soccer. I had to date like the cheerleaders. This is at 12. And yet I knew I was gay. And I and, and I, and I stayed, I was in the closet. And so it's like, so that, that was me at 12. So it was like, seemed kind of perfect, but on the inside was just kind of like terrified, pretty much constantly wow. having to come out. So
0: yeah. Wow. I mean, that's like you're saying, you could, like, you just asked me to do that. We didn't plan either of us to share those stories. But now I have way more context as to as to who you are, and you for who I am, like, you understand that, like, these, these mindsets that we carry today go back to the age of 12. And I that's don't know, right. if you, that's like a number you always ask, but that's, that was a good spot to start.
1: No. And, and so that's the thing, Alex, I always do, do that. So I like, guess I'm doing diversity inclusion work right now. Like, it's like, you know, we'll often be like, here's this tall, gorgeous, like white woman CEO, and then this kind of black, you know, person who's doing DNI and like, they really are having tensions. And if you do that story with that, that, with them, like you'll find out that the tall woman CEO has always been tall. So at 12, she like stuck out, mm. like, a, like people made fun of her nonstop because she was so tall. And the black woman was 12 and had just discovered her hair and was like, my hair is amazing. It makes me mm. like awesome superpowered and so suddenly you see those two women in really different lights and they see each other in different lights and so it allows for a different kind of conversation to happen so it's a very useful little trick now, another thing I'll, i did this the other day like i was sitting with a guy who had prostate cancer and was he was basically like, i think i'm dying of prostate cancer and i was like tell me a short funny story about in uh, um, chemotherapy and he did and it was like it was like joyful for him to be able to tell that story, and it was joyful for me like so so you can use it in all kinds of different ways as, as you think
0: I love that, and this is number two in your book, the second chapter uh, where you talk about creative listening um one more question on this before we move on. Do you recommend, because many of us, especially in the entrepreneurship realm, we're all on Zoom right now, and that might be the foreseeable future, even when we go back in person, we're still collaborating with people all over the world. Do you recommend asking for stories like this on Zoom calls with people that you don't even know that well that you're trying to collaborate with? Like, how do you really start one of those conversations well?
1: Yeah, I mean, so I'm me. So yeah, I do that. (laughs) Okay. but. But you're you and you can do that too. I mean, it's like, it's like, I mean, you're, I mean, you, you certainly can, Alex, like that's something, I mean, it's funny. I just, my first lecture, like maybe six weeks ago or four weeks ago was with Barry Mack. He runs um, Ivy, which is like the Young Leadership Association. It's like, um, if, if you don't know it, you you would love it as would your listeners. Um, but Barry Mack, I did that with Barry. And he, this was a kid who, um, I can't remember where he's from. I think he's from Turkey, who then moved to England at twelve. And he's very verbose and very comfortable with himself. But at 12, when he, was, when he wasn't speaking his first language and he was, didn't have a, no one understood his humor and he was in England, he was isolated and alone and afraid. And so we did that same thing. And now, from what I understand, every one of his lectures now, he's starting with that story, with that question. He's like, tell me about who you were at 12. So the thing is, like, you can absolutely do that. Like, it's like, it's like, and it'll help you. You know, it's like what. Here's the other thing about about what that that story does—the neuroscience behind it, which is that if if you tell me this very personal, vulnerable story about yourself, Alex, then it actually triggers oxytocin, which is which is sort of the love love hormone, and so it makes me like you just a little bit more. It like builds more empathy for for you, and that's like that's really important work to be done. So there's a bunch of reasons why that works for us.
0: I love that. I love this point. So we're gonna jump now for the sake of time down to the the seventh C chapter seven, which is create. I'd love to talk to you about that a little bit.
1: Yeah, and it's really interesting. I mean, just on the last chapter, which I'll tell you, that was in fact the chapter that sold the book. Originally they wanted me to write a whole book on listening, and I was like, I Hmm. I, have more to say than just that. But so but create, you know, ironically, in my normal world, as I think about myself as a designer and innovator, I sort of start with create. That's the very first thing you do. Um but this whole book is basically sort of saying, let's build up to what it makes takes to create and make sure that we actually get something out of our conversation. So this book is really focused on not just having really hard conversations, but making something, which I think is probably really valuable for your listeners, right? Which is that they're not yeah. just they're not just having hard conversations; they've got to put something out in the world. So if they they can't just mess around, um, and so. And so many conversations don't do that. And so th- that's kind of why it's the last chapter. But there's another twist on it that's come forward recently, which is that in the the very shorthand version of that chapter is basically if you can't talk, if you can't have a conversation, then just make together. And there are many cases where we just can't talk right now. Um, and that's po- for political reasons. For religious reasons and so what i'm saying to most of the people i'm talking to now is like if you feel like you can't have that hard conversation then just make together so i have young one young woman who just um got back to me and said that they, after hearing me talk she had she decided to go ask her for her um, her trump or biden voting father-in-law to teach her how to play golf and so they haven't been talking any, about anything except for golf and and they've really built a strong bond, even at a moment when they, when they would otherwise have tensions. So I think there's so there's a bunch of ways to think about create, which is like, make sure you're making, but but if not, just kind of create together. Um, and that's that, that's as valuable. So, I mean, what's interesting for your, your listeners is that they could even, you might just get together for an hour and just work quietly, you know, on, mm-hmm. on Zoom, you know, and not even talk or... Or you might not you know one of the things i talk about in this in this book is um asynchronous things can feel like conversations if they're done well right so if if you've ever been like in a google doc with a bunch of people and you're kind of collaborating well they can feel like a good conversation um and 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 so if you don't have if you if you can't possibly get on zoom because it's making you crazy then do stuff in google doc together you know it's like so we have a lot of tools at our fingertips to have these hard conversations at this moment so
0: what are the recommendations would you have again for entrepreneurs? So maybe they're maybe they're just not even voicing where they stand politically, spiritually and those things, but they have to have some conversations to actually grow their business. So some of that can be uncomfortable. Like sales in general can be kind of uncomfortable. How would you recommend that they really create in this in this environment?
1: Well, you know, here's the thing. This is actually why your uh, your audience, your 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 entrepreneurs should really invest in humanizing themselves right now because one of the things I've found through like, I'm, I'm definitely in one of the way I'm not your audience is I'm 52. So it's like, I'm, I'm pretty old at this point. But, but, but nonetheless, like, I'm still starting, I've been starting businesses my whole life. Like, that's mm-hmm. what that's what I do. And um, what's interesting for me is that I am. I've always just been me. Like there's n- nothing but me. Like, it's like, it's like, and I've always been as helpful as possible. Like, I think somebody who I'm sure you you, you probably follow is Adam Grant, who's a good friend of mine and his book. Mm-hmm. um, I think it's Give and Take was a, that's how I got to know Adam. I think I just emailed him. because I was like, this book's amazing. And he was like, oh yeah, I, I love IDEO. And I, I was like, great, well then let's get, let's be friends. Like, I didn't even realize that he was famous. Like when he, <laughs> he did something like, like, he put my book on his fall list and like my like, linkedin went like through the roof and i was wow. like adam i had i didn't know <laughs>
0: <It's> like, so, <laughs> and that's probably why but, he was he likes you probably <laughs>
1: exactly but so what's so funny is like if you're kind of good and human and generous then what happens is at the moment where you need to do something that's completely transactional you can say hey i'm sorry i'm gonna be transactional now so think about this Alex right now I got a book out in a pandemic during the elections like in during kind of global crisis during it's like and like my publishers want me want it to be a bestseller and it's like i don't even care if it's a bestseller i just want it to be out there you know it's like but but whatever i have to help make them happy and um, and i have another book idea so i want to get another book out there and so basically with everyone that i know i'm just like hey guys sorry i told you it was gonna get trans- transactional this is just like i need you to buy the book I need you to pre-order the book, or I need you to, you know, whatever that, or I need you to, you know, in tweet tweet this. Not so, not so much on the tweeting, but it's like, but I need you to right. get this, you know. It's like so, um, but I can do that because I've been genuinely myself and human all the way through this. They know that I've spent a ton of time working on this and that it means a lot. And like, everyone's like, yeah, you just you t- you tell us when. So it actually. I'm not saying that that's, it's sort of like sales, but it doesn't really feel like sales, right? Yeah. Like, it's not me saying like, hey, 999. Like, it's like, it's it's me being like, I need your help now and at right. and the moment, so.
0: I love that point. And it's because you've been human the whole time. If you just start with transaction, then there's no real human element to it. You're just always been that thing trying to push and sell and things like that. That's a really good point for not just, creating conversation, but also for just being a, a good person and a good entrepreneur.
1: That's that's totally right. You know, it's like, and it's like, and and you know, I'm sure you think of yourself as like a business, but it's like, but but you're you're um you're you're actually just helping people be better humans by kind of helping, mm-hmm. giving them more kind of platform. So that's so thank you for that. That's really good work.
0: Love that. Yeah. Thank you so much. For this has been a super fun conversation. Do you have any final thoughts on this topic to share with the audience before we close out?
1: Yeah, I really feel like it's all of our work right now to be relentless about sharing, like, the best examples of conversations. So the whole world right now is telling us we can't have conversations. Everything. That's what we're seeing in the media. That's what we're seeing in in politics. That's what we're seeing in our day-to-day lives. We need to kind of counteract that narrative and say, no, here's a place where an amazing conversation happened. Here's another place where an amazing conversation happens. So, so that's, I don't know. I think that's pretty important work today. So, if you can, oh yeah, if you can do that, like your your listeners, please go forth mm-hmm. and do that.
0: Yeah, that's really great. I appreciate that. Well, Fred, thank you again for your time. I really enjoyed this conversation today.
1: Me too. I really appreciate it as well. And um, stay warm in Jacksonville. I, I, I'm a little
0: <laughs> <laughs> well. Thank you. Recording this episode with Fred was like having a conversation with a close friend. I so appreciate him sharing his insights into the topic of conversation. He's done a lot of research on it, and it really shows in the way that he interviewed today. Now, as I mentioned in the beginning, this topic is so important, and it's not just for our businesses. It goes into our personal lives as well. If we can start having more meaningful conversations with people, we can begin helping the world around us. And as a result, it will also help our businesses grow. To help you do this, Fred is actually starting a really cool daily conversation challenge that I encourage you to take a look at. You can find a link to it in the show notes, along with a link to his book, which I urge everyone to pick up a copy of. Fred, thank you again for being a guest and having a conversation about creating meaningful conversations. To pick up a copy of Fred Dust's book, Making Conversation, and opt into his daily conversation challenges, please visit creatingabrand.com slash 076. Thank you as always for listening. I'm looking forward to bringing another Masterclass episode next week.